It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. Oh, uh, once again, what now I fixed that. I fixed that last week, okay? I fixed that. Oh, there you are. Yeah, there I are. Uh come on, folks. That was uh that I I I worked on that one and I, I fixed it and I thought I had it done, but you know. Of course. But this of see this is did. this is like what you were talking about uh as we were getting ready today. Um you were watching something uh, a streaming program last night. Tell us about it. Um, Mark Dvorak, who Chicago's troubadour we've had on the show before. Friend of and the show. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He did a live concert last night from Hinsdale, um, a broadcast live. He didn't have an audience, but it was broadcast live uh-huh. on folk stage. And at the end of the program, um, the host made a comment about any glitches compliment of the uh, internet company. And I won't state their name. Uh, yes, you, you can. To. Oh, you mean, <laughs> you mean our, our wonderful friends at Comcast? Come on, give those people a ding here. Go. Yeah. Not, not necessarily a, a ding in a nice way, but <laughs> Hey, so, listen. So I think we can say that moving forward program anomalies, courtesy of Comcast. And I want to tell you a story right before we get to our first guests here, because, um, uh, I had a similar thing happen yesterday. I'm, I was putting the show together and watch. I had football on in in the background. And uh, yes, uh, go cats, wildcats. Yes. Yeah, I hear they're pretty good this year. Did they? Who? Did, oh, what they, did they do? Uh, Maryland. They blew them out pretty much. Wow. How about that? Uh, go cats. Anyway, so I had this game on, and it was just it was on Fox. Um, and right in the middle of a play, I hear the announcer say. Uh, we've lost power. We, there, we have no power here. We have, there's, Oops. I, there's no power, it, except he didn't realize his mic was still on. So there was enough power for the microphone. Um, and he's going, uh, we have no power. We have no power. <laughs> and then there's this long, long silence, two, three, four, five minutes where the game just played because they still had the game. You could hear the sounds from the game. And it mm-hmm. actually it was kind of nice not to have the announcers there. And then after a few minutes, I heard, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> hey, listen, this is a major network. So if we have a little glitch here on our platform, which is sitting on my dining room table here and streaming worldwide, and we happen to have a little bit of a glitch, 
yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, not, not a bad, uh, thing at all. So, uh, it's, it's part of the deal right now, folks. This is, this is life in the, uh, the new millennium, uh, which is only 20 years old now. And, uh, and I think going strong. So, uh, with that, why don't we, we have a, a great show for you today, by the way, folks, man, uh, I am so excited with the guests we have and the topics we're covering. Uh, we're coming up on, uh, the big holiday. Some people like, uh, Halloween better than Christmas. Um, and, uh, and the one thing that we've learned about holidays though, especially in the United States, they are massive waste producers. Uh, and, uh, one person who knows about that is there in your left hand, uh, part of the screen. Okay. Uh, I'm going there. There you are. Hi, Hi Kay. Kay. How you doing? That's Kay McKean from Scarce. Wait, I thought I hit your audio. There's your audio. And, uh, on the right Good side. Morning. Uh, we we have uh, Amy DiLorenzo from Illinois Extension, and if you went to my blog, and I hope folks do, please, I, sp- I spend way too much time writing it on Saturdays, um, and the title is Smashing Pumpkins. No, it has nothing to do with the rock group. It's Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins Responsibly, because we're talking about the pump- pumpkin smash 2020, which is happening on the 7th of November, Um, and this is such a great thing. We talked about it last year on the show, Peggy. We had uh, Mm -hmm. Sarah Batka from Illinois Extension on, and I'm glad that in our lower left-hand corner, we have the person who originated the pumpkin smash back in 2014, and that is Kay McKean from Scarce. And if you don't know what scarce is, uh, and nobody else knows the actual words for it, so they just call it scarce. But it's actually, and I've got it here, I have to read it, School and Community Assistance for Recycling and Composting Education. Or just call them scarce and go to scarce.org. So, Kay, you have to tell us the history of uh, of the pumpkin smash. <laughs> Well, good morning, you guys. And, and, um, and, Kay, and Kay, Kay, can I tell you, you're you're cutting yourself off with your camera. You need to slide to your right. To your right. There you go. That's better. There Thank I you. am. Okay. All right. All this new technology, right? I, 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 and people and people <laughs> listening to the podcast are thinking, what? What? What did I miss? Well, if you if you're just listening to the podcast, you need to uh, check out the video stream which we do and we post it's live right now at mikenovak.net m-i-k-e-n-o-w-a-k.net and on youtube and uh facetube so Kay mckean face block face face block and yeah <laughs> so how did uh, how did the pumpkin smash start well, you know we needed a fun way after we wrote the law for food scrap composting here in illinois we were looking for a fun way to get people to pay attention to food scrap composting and no contaminants. And I had been driving by people's houses after Halloween and all these people had pumpkins sitting on top of their garbage cans. And I thought, ah, what a waste of water and nutrients. And we're going to create a whole bunch of methane gas. I thought, can you imagine across the country, how many tons of pumpkins are thrown out? And I thought, what if we could create some family kind of fun event to get those pumpkins composted, get kids involved, schools involved, 
And Jen Walling and I came up with the pumpkin smash. And so you all know Jen Walling from the Illinois Environmental Council. Um, So we worked and she, we wrote a law and she (laughs) got it passed. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, we just sat down and wrote a law. We 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 had a we had a couple of minutes to spare on a Thursday, mm-hmm. so we just wrote Had a law coffee. and sent it off to the <laughs> General Assembly. <laughs> I love the way you're so cavalier about writing laws, and, and you, a miracle you, occurred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. It worked, you guys, and we're at 377 tons that we know about, and other states have been taking on the project. And we also last year got a call from the United Kingdom. And this year there's a big report in the um, World Economic Forum about the importance of using pumpkins for food and at least composting them. So, yeah, that's how it started, seeing people's pumpkins sitting on top of their garbage cans and going, ah, we could do better. Well, we can do a lot better considering that there are roughly 650,000 tons of discarded pumpkins uh, that go to landfills after Halloween. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, it almost makes me not want to celebrate anything because we're so bad at, I'm serious. I mean, if 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 we're going to celebrate stuff, why don't we celebrate the earth one day and not create junk and create waste that, that is going to, as you mentioned, add methane to our atmosphere. Um, uh, Amy, you're uh, at Illinois Extension, and, and you're involved in a lot of uh, food scrap issues. You've worked, as Kay has, with the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. You've worked with Wasted Food Action Alliance. Um, tell us the importance of, <laughs> and, and we all know it, but maybe people watching and listening don't know, the importance of keeping those pumpkins out of landfills. And how do we do that? Absolutely. I mean, I think when I think about composting, I think it it solves three main issues for me. So it's uh, food waste is an economic issue. It's an environmental issue and it's a social issue. So obviously we care about the environmental issue when you're talking about keeping pumpkins out of landfill. It really keeps the methane out of the atmosphere. But, you know, like Kay also said, pumpkins are a great source of nutrition. So that's an economic uh, social issue. Um, You know, people or animals could be eating those pumpkins. And then we have the economic issue. So you think about how much time and money is spent harvesting the pumpkins, growing the pumpkins, all the resources that go into it. And when you throw that away in the landfill, it just goes right with it. So there's a lot of work that can be done um, and a lot of problems that can be solved when you compost your pumpkins instead of just throwing them away. Well, a lot of problems that can be solved when you just compost in general. Pumpkins, see, this this is a gateway composting material. I was just going to say that, literally, yeah. just okay, going to say that. Well, okay, we, we both get a day. Uh, <laughs> you know, if if you can compost your pumpkin, you can compost anything. And I have to tell you that, uh, especially this year, in the pandemic year, um, there's been almost no food scrap that goes out of our kitchen and into uh, uh, the landfill. I, I'm trying to even, maybe some tiny bit of meat product because I, I don't have a, a, a commercial composter here. Uh, but really, we don't even eat that much meat. So I would say I would venture 95% of everything we produce in the kitchen goes into our composting mm-hmm. bin. And I don't have a large one. I mean, that's the other thing I think, uh, Kay and Amy, you might address is you don't need a large bin, especially if you use it. And I used it all summer. And I have to admit, it's just been... And I don't even turn it very much. Um, it's, it's static. 
Uh, and it and it's amazing how efficient during the summer your compost pile is. Maybe, Amy, you can address that a little bit. So I live in an apartment. I don't have access to a backyard, so I use a bucket collection service. But I definitely understand, you know, in the in the warm weather that the compost turns quickly. You know, I think there's a lot of different options people have. So if you live in an apartment like me, you can have a vermicompost bin. You can use a swap out service. Um, maybe you're fortunate that your neighbors are kind enough to let you try something in the backyard with a earth machine, like one of those Darth Vader type looking. I, I, that's machines. what I have. I have a Darth Vader helmet in my yard yeah. that I've had like for 15 years. Uh, it's start- one of those big black square boxes. Same. Yeah. Yep. And, and Amy, can yeah. I ask you, you don't by any chance use collective resource, do you? I don't actually. Oh. I, oh. yeah. I, but well, I was, was going to say it. Because they're an advertiser on the show, so we got to give them a, a shout out. But they're one of the companies that does it, that will bring a bucket to your home. You throw your food scraps in there. If you don't have a place to compost, they pick it up. They give, they swap out a clean, you know, very clean uh, a bucket, uh, and it, however often you want it and how big you want it. Um, it's a great way to participate in this. Um, and those kinds of companies are springing up all over the place. Absolutely. I think Mike, yeah, something that's really important. Oh, go ahead. I think go ahead, what you said is real important because ninety percent of the food that we throw out is water. So when people think they're going to have a lot to compost, the water mm-hmm. in your compost and it kind of evaporates up, and it goes back down through the leaves and other things you have in your compost bin back into the soil. So if ninety percent of what you put in there from your food scraps is water. Your volume goes down. It's people sometimes think they need multiple, multiple compost bins when in fact one compost bin can really handle a lot of organic scrap food scraps. Yeah. However, uh, Amy, as you know, you need some brown material. You need green material, which is generally your nitrogen source, and then you need the brown material, which is your carbon source. Uh, if uh, and you know this, Kay, because you help pass the food scrap law in Illinois. You've, you've been involved in so many environmental laws. Uh, that was one that I remember way back in 2010, uh, we talked about this. Um, and before then in Illinois, food scrap was considered toxic. It was like, you, you might as well be putting mercury, <laughs> you know, they treated it almost the same way. Whereas a lot of states around us were taking advantage of it and composting. Illinois was backwards and that has changed, hasn't it, Kay? Tremendously, tremendously. We we actually rank fourth in the United States of opportunities for residents to participate in curbside food scrap composting. So even if you can't compost in your backyard for whatever reason, there are we rank fourth in the whole country, which is amazing for opportunities. Now we just need more people to learn about it and take advantage mm-hmm. of it. Uh, absolutely. So I, I and I'm sorry I kind of interrupted you, uh, Amy. Uh, um, so talk about that, that ratio of materials in a composting pile and how you can get your compost, uh, good and fired up and decomposing rapidly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have, a lot of times people are concerned about composting because they say it's going to attract smells or vermin and things like that. And so, like you said, there's a, there's a perfect recipe that you need to kind of be a part of and Kate can help me with that, uh, exact numbers because I'm kind of fuzzy on those myself, but uh, oftentimes it's because there's too much green material and not enough brown material, right? So um, oftentimes we'll tell people to add something like paper, paper towels, newspaper, things like that to kind of calm it down a little bit. 
Um, Kay, do you remember about, the exact, <laughs> the exact what, ratio? What leaves? Well, Does leaves fall into brown material or green material? Brown. Um, Definitely yeah. carbon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, although here's here's uh, kind of a um, a uh, a trick question uh, when you ask people what I- what are coffee grounds considered. And they're actually green. They're a green material because yes, they're nitrogen. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're nitrogen ni- rich. I did a, a garden talk very recently um, where I did everything. It's called Everything You Know About Gardening is Wrong. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we went into that whole myth about coffee grounds and what they do for your compost pile. And as a mulch, you know, whether it's a good mulch and does it, uh, acidify your soil? The answer is no, it does not because you've drained the acid out by actually making coffee. Um, is it a good mulch? Well, not if you just pile it on because like peat moss, the water's going to run off. It's yeah. better if you incorporate it into the soil. Uh, but as a uh, composting agent, it is green. It's considered green because of all the nitrogen in there. So it's great to add to your uh, your your compost pile. But the problem is, and I went to a conference. It's this is how geeky we can get in this business. I, <laughs> yeah. It was a it was geeky. It was a food scrap conference, and they were talking about the issue of how do we get you know we we need to compost our food uh, scraps, but where are we going to get our our carbon rich material to add to the food scraps? It's causing issues here, but it does cause issues if you have only green and you don't have enough brown stuff. Uh, are carbon-rich uh, um, materials in your compost pile. So, so, you know, that's the thing Amy was bringing up about percentages. You know, nature doesn't really work on percentages, but it's kind of amazing. <laughs> so apples that didn't get picked from a tree fall to the ground during this season of fall. And then, of course, all the leaves in autumn fall to the ground and make a huge blanket. Um, the issue with our backyard composting is our food scraps are so full of water. And so if you think about the weight of the carbons, newspaper, unless you've got a lot of it, doesn't weigh very much compared to an apple core. So we always recommend, you know, saving your cardboard egg cartons, your cardboard pizza boxes. Um, think about your cities. A lot of cities have wood chips that you can pick up from free, for free from their either compost area or their public works area. And they're glad to get rid of it. And what's nice about wood chips is wood chips are kind of a, a I have a handful. You've got a chunk of wood chip and then you've got an apple core. So together that makes a really good uh, combination because that chunk of apple core and that chunk of, of wood chip coming together, that allows air to circulate around the apple core and the more oxygen, the faster compost happens. So we want to think about free uh, ways to get carbon. We know when we used to have a compost bin, in our other home, we'd ask the neighbors for their leaves because we needed even more carbon to put into our compost bin. Ah, what 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 uh, do you have now, Kay? Well, now I have multiple systems. I have a compost bin, a regular six-sided wire mesh bin for my compost. And then I have a, a worm bin at work. And by the way, uh, Amy brought up the vermicomposting and worms with no eyes and no ears and no nose. They will find the pumpkin and they will choose that <laughs> over other food in the worm bin. It's kind of a little, where's your miracle wand, uh, Peggy? Because I don't know how that happens. There you go. <laughs> but they find the pumpkin and they will congregate there. They will yeah. nest right there. To, right, Amy? You've seen it yourself, I'm sure. It is 
amazing how that happens. So um, there's the lots sugars? of ways to compost. Well, if it's it, the sugars or what they're atta- they're they're attracted to. Whatever they Years find. Years ago, it. I read a book that said pumpkins were the top fit, one of the top fifty foods for antioxidants and nutrients. And so, do they do worms somehow know that? I I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's not lose track of the uh, pumpkin smash 2020, and we need to talk about where that's going to be because folks in this area and and in, it's gone to other states, hasn't it, uh, Kay? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and yep. it's the, the starting to spread. And uh, as of uh, going into 2020, you had composted uh what was it about 380 tons of pumpkins which is just amazing but we can do a lot better that's that's not a lot really in the scheme of things so uh amy you're you're working with illinois extension and illinois extension is working in uh chicago uh especially to do this so tell us about your drop-off location on the south side yeah, so we are partnering with Plant Chicago at the Firehouse um, at 4459 South Marshfield on the 7th of November. We'll be there from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And you can bring your pumpkins. Uh, make sure that if you have any kind of stickers or extraneous things on the pumpkin, uh, take your uh, take your candle out of the pumpkin. We want it as pure as possible. Um, but we will be there this year. Um, we were there last year as well. And we're looking forward to seeing everyone to smash their pumpkins. Yeah, and I got a, it's it's talk about timing. Yesterday, a friend of mine who I knew from WGN days twenty years ago, Nina Newhauser, uh, she works with uh, the Edgewater Environmental Sustainability Project (EESP), right. and they're doing a drop off on the north side of Chicago. Uh, from noon to 4 p.m. Again, this is all on the 7th of November. It's a Saturday. And that's their drop-off, noon to 4, is at St. Andrew Greek Orthodox Church, and that's 5649 North Sheridan. Um, And you can drop off your pumpkins there. But there are other locations all over the area, aren't there, Kay? All all over. Rogers Park has one at the Community Makery. Um, That's on John Quill Terrace Road. Um, we've got, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, S-O-L-O-R-I-A High School uh, in Gage Park is doing a collection. So there's there's 19 uh, communities that have let us know outside of DuPage. We've got 16 in DuPage County, and then Lake County has them, and Northern Cook County has them, and Will County has, I know, at least one. And right now, um, Carmel Catholic High School is trying to either partner with Gage High School um, or they're going to run their own. And we got a call just uh, this week from a uh, composting company in Elburn. And they have a brewery that they collect all the brewery, hops, whatever is left over after making beer. And so they're thinking about being a drop-off site way out in Elburn so that we can compost even more and teach people, like Amy said, no candles, no plastic yeah. ears. Yep. Yeah, yeah, get rid of that stuff. And if you want the list and in... in, in um it, what's it integrated not integrated um interactive map. interactive thank you the interactive map you can go to scarce.org slash pumpkins and then just scroll down to the bottom of the page and there's the interactive map so you can look in your area and see where there are pumpkin smashes uh and it's such a great thing i mean if we're going to export something from illinois uh pumpkin smash is a great place to start <laughs> i think um, so we want, uh, please. And, and, and add some pumpkin bowling to the pumpkin smash. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of the organizations I was reading about are doing all sorts of fun things. Yeah, yeah. you've got to make it. it's really fun when the. Yeah, go ahead, Kay. Sorry. I just think it's really fun when the high school kids and the middle school kids, particularly uh, some of the park districts, come up with something fun like bowling. Uh, one park district, uh, one school, sorry, in Plainfield, Illinois, as the pumpkins mm-hmm. came in, they saved the little tiny white ones and the little tiny orange ones, and the kids made tic-tac-toe games. So when kids came, they would play a little game of tic-tac-toe and then see how more how many more pumpkins came to the bin at the time. Um, fun ways to teach people about composting. And I think it also makes you feel like you're part of the solution. Right now, I think we can all use something happy and something good going on. And this is us a happy, outdoor, family kind of good thing to do. Absolutely. All right. We've just got a couple of minutes left here. And I, all right. Um, and I wanted to discuss just a little bit more about what you're doing at Scarce, Kay, because you do so much uh, to uh, help our environment. Uh, what's on your radar? I mean, for one thing, you can take a lot of you. You moved. Let's talk about that. You you actually moved in the middle of the pandemic this year, didn't you? I would not recommend moving a not for profit at the beginning of the pandemic. Let me just start there. <laughs> it's also our thirtieth year. We started our thirtieth year in August, so twenty twenty has been uh, <laughs> has been an amazing year. We really are right now developing our new classroom and our classroom is being developed to uh, be much more interactive. We got a grant from the uh, Environmental Law and Policy Center and from the DuPage Foundation to help us buy smart TVs and better microphones and ways that we can help teachers in their classrooms with our programs and also do teacher workshops and resident workshops. So we've been doing a lot of workshops virtually or remotely or whatever everybody's calling all this new technology. Uh, libraries and garden clubs have been calling. So it's a great way. It's a new technology for us. And I, I didn't even know what Zoom was in March, you guys. I don't know about you all, but <laughs> <laughs> that was a whole new thing. So uh, I'm learning a lot. Our team is just diving in. I would say our team has not lost a minute. It's it's. I think it, you, you come to work and you feel like you're doing something good when so much else is kind of scary out there. So our volunteers have been fantastic with the move and really getting used to the new technology and getting out there in new ways, virtual learning to help our teachers and our students. Let me ask you one quick question uh, to wrap up here. Um, what kind of an impact has the pandemic had on our ability to recycle and reuse? Um, it feels from my point of view that it's really hurt it right now and we're, need to gonna re- we're going to need to rebound from this. Uh, what are you seeing? Oh, I think it's so hard to go to the grocery store and not bring your bags in. Mm-hmm. That has been really hard to bring home more plastic bags or more paper bags. So that, that's been very difficult. To see the, um, the face masks and the gloves that people are wrongly <laughs> putting into their recycling bin and exposing the recycling sorters to um, items that tangle and items that could have the virus. You know, if you do carry out now to help support our restaurants, which we need to do, we have lots more packaging there. So the packaging has increased. The gloves have increased. I have taken pictures of people's gloves. You know, they go out to their car and they take their gloves off because they don't want to put them in the car and they just throw them on the ground of the parking lot at the grocery store. Yikes. So we've kind of lost some, we've lost a lot. We've gone backwards a lot, I would call it, but we're also scared or exhausted or both with this virus that I think we're kind of thinking they can only do so much. 
So what we do in our own homes right now, turning off lights and composting our pumpkins and making sure we're recycling things that are clean and the right items, those are really, really critical. But I will say that we do these recycling extravaganzas out here, and we started them in 1986, and we have one coming up on Halloween morning. It is going to be the second only that I know of syringe collection program. One in 12 homes now has syringes, you guys, and EpiPens, and they're hard to get rid of responsibly and affordably. So sometimes people put them in their garbage, and now they poke a hauler, a garbage hauler, sure. or they put them in the recycling bin, and that is a huge safety issue for our sorters. So we're working with the DuPage County Sheriff's Office and we're collecting syringes for the second time, a community collection on Halloween morning, paper shredding. I love working with working bikes. I know you guys have had working bikes on your show in Chicago. They'll be there collecting bikes. So it's kind of a a good thing we're getting done and we're just going to make sure people wear their masks and social distance. So there's a lot of good stuff going on besides some of the crummy stuff. And that's what you should know about Scarce. They do these kinds of things. So go to scarce.org and and then hit slash pumpkins and find out about Pumpkin Smash. Um, You can go to my website, mikenovak.net. I've got lots of links, including to Illinois Extension and what the Extension is doing there. Amy D. Lorenzo, thank you so much for being here. Kay, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, we'll talk again soon when... uh, we have uh, uh, more issues and, and more events like this. So thank you both. Really appreciate it. Be well, you guys. Thanks so much. It's our pleasure. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and there they go. They're waving goodbye, and we really appreciate having them here. All right, when we come back, I am so excited to have uh, Jerry Edelman, the uh, president and CEO of Open Lands on the show, talk about issues. Boy, we're diving into a lot of them today. So uh, stick around for that, and we will be right back after this. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food. And thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. The folks at Blazing Star know that good soil biology means good soil. That's why they sell products from trusted industry leader Tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health. In other words, whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Well, I do. Hey, who's in charge here? It's J- 
jungle out there. Poison in the very air we breathe. You know what's in the water that you drink? Well, I do. And it's amazing. People think I'm crazy because I worry all the time. If you paid attention, you'd be worried too. I do pay attention. You better pay attention to all this world we love so much. Might just kill you. Might just kill you. I could be wrong. But I don't think so. But I don't think so. Because there's a jungle out there. There's a jungle out there. One of my favorite uh, all-time environmental songs, but it's not an environmental song. It was the theme from Monk, and that's Randy Newman, of course. And the best thing about that song is, is when I play it, YouTube doesn't flag me. That's the best thing, okay? And Facebook. Very quiet. I know. Don't want to get flagged by YouTube and uh, Facebook. Uh, there's our friend Jerry Edelman in the, the bottom left corner. Jerry, you hang on for 60 seconds, and we're going to get right to you. But Peggy has some interesting information. Yeah, helping everybody continue to walk like an agrarian. Um, you need to think like one to do that as well. And the Center for Agrarian Learning at McHenry County College is hosting a free online speaker series featuring innovative thinkers and doers. It's called Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming. The next one is Whole Grain Supply Chain coming up on November 15th. You'll get a chance to hear a baker, a farmer, and a dietitian speak about using artisan grains in their businesses. And then on December 13th, the topic is Regenerative Agriculture, Details of a Profitable Journey, where you'll learn about six principles of regenerative farming. The sessions are free and they're online via Zoom, but you do need to sign up. And by the way, they're not going to be recorded, so you have just one chance for these excellent workshops. Go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and check out upcoming events in January and February of 2021 as well. That's mchenry.edu slash Forefront. It's interesting that they're not recording it because uh, I assume that there are people out there who are, are binge watchers of these kinds of seminars. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm going to I'm going to go Saturday and Sunday and I'm just going to watch a bunch of seminars here and uh, and get some popcorn and let's let's see what happens. But no, I hope you take advantage. We love what's going on yeah. up at McHenry County College. Some great stuff. And speaking and, of great And many of the speakers have been on our show as well. I know. I love that when when they have these events, and then there are people that we've already talked to. I think, okay, maybe we're doing the right thing here. Maybe we're talking to the right people. Uh, we're talking to the right guy right now, and that is uh, Jerry Edelman, who's the president and CEO of Open Lands. Jerry, it's been way too long since you were on our show, so welcome back. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here with you and Peggy, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I am too, because you guys are doing so much. Uh, we talk about open lands on this show all the time. Uh, you know, as you guys uh, say on your website, you protect the natural and open spaces of northeastern Illinois and the surrounding region to ensure cleaner air, water, protect natural habitats and wildlife, and help balance and enrich our lives. And that's that says it in a nutshell, and you have so many different projects, it's impossible to keep track of all of them. So we're going to talk about just a few today. Um, and by the way, Jerry, you've, uh, boy, you've been doing this now for 32 years. Is that right? Yeah, hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. It's been, 
an amazing experience, though. I work with such extraordinary people. I mean, both at Open Lands, wonderful staff, our board, but our partners. That's how we get our work done. You know, as a regional organization that covers three states along the southern shore of Lake Michigan, there's no way we could do the work we do without meaningful community and uh, not-for-profit and governmental partners. So it's, it's been an extraordinary journey and uh, very rewarding. And normally we would have seen you uh, and um, a thousand of our closest environmental friends at the Open Lands Luncheon, which Peggy and I just uh, adore. I took Kathleen to it last year, and this was the first time she had been there. And she said, when we left, she said, now I know what you're talking about. Um, It's such an amazing event. And, of course, you did it virtually this year. Right. And, you know... uh Many in the conservation community refer to it as their annual reunion or the conservation prom, or, or, but just it is the largest <laughs> gathering of the conservation community in Illinois or in our large you know, metropolitan region, certainly. Um, and so this year was a bit of a challenge, but we produced uh, three really excellent pieces, one honoring uh, Debbie Moskowitz, uh, formerly of the Field Museum, who was, she was our honoree for our Conservation Leadership Award, has done extraordinary work in South America, has saved over 20 million acres, but also has been a real force in Chicago region, especially through Chicago wilderness. Then we had a podcast because we said this was a virtual journey from the Amazon to Chicago because of her work there and because of the connections between our region and the Amazon, um, most notably through birds. I mean, all the birds that we see here are so many of them, you know, in the winter, they're going down to, uh, to South America. And um, so we have a very important role here uh, to play in terms of guaranteeing that there's habitat and uh, important, uh, you know, uh, sustainable environment for them while they're passing through or while they're in resident residence here. And so we had a podcast that Wendy Paulson, who's a great birder, who's on our board, moderated with John Fitzpatrick, who has the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. You know, which is kind of our premier institution in many ways. They started eBird and so forth. Um, and then also with the woman who would have been our speaker. And so she played a multiple role honoring Debbie and also with the podcast, Abasita Tuchon, who is a program director at the Gordon and Henry Moore Foundation, uh, focused on the Andes and uh, the Amazon and has worked with Debbie for years. And then the third piece, it was a video basically about our large landscape preservation um, in the Chicago and metropolitan region of open lands. It was, it was a great event and about 1800 people witnessed in one way or another, listened or saw parts of this. And in many cases from around the world, because Debbie's profile, you know, is so broad and reaches her, her work and the impact of it has reached so many people. So while we missed having everyone together, that's such an exciting event in so many ways. Uh, I think given the challenges of COVID, it was a good compromise, a good pivot. Yeah. Uh, I am, I'm always amazed at you, how well you remember names and ideas and, and just, you've got all, see, this is why they put you in charge. You've got to store all this stuff in your brain um, and, and you get to assign specific tasks to people and they focus on that, but you have to focus on everything, which is, uh, it's, it's amazing. And people, I 
think I know everything about everything because I do a radio show and I tell them, no, I just ask questions. Uh, but you're keeping track of this. And one of the things that you're working on right now that I'm very interested in, and I know you are, is the Renew Conservation Corps Act. Um, which uh, Illinois Senator Dick Durbin is behind, and so is Open Lands. You, uh, it just sounds like the best way, one of the best ways to address our pandemic and the uh, loss of jobs in uh, the United States. Put people to work doing conservation acts. Can you explain uh, the 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 bill a little bit? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, we had the honor and pleasure of working with. Uh, Senator Durbin since early April in helping to shape this initiative and then really uh, reach out to the conservation community, not just in Illinois, but around the country to vet the ideas. And we were very lucky. Um, You may know West Monroe Partners, a very prestigious uh, consulting firm here in Chicago, uh, founded by Dean Fisher, who was a great conservationist, uh, was on our board at one time. He's on the National Audubon Board was the chair of the Student Conservation Association board at one time. Uh, And he got very excited about this. And we really needed a good business model. I mean, how are we coming up with the dollars, which is 55, over 55 billion for a program over five years to employ a thousand people. And so that was huge. We were also very lucky to have John Rogner. I know you know John well from the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, their number two guy, but who was also part of the team kind of shaping this as we reached out to make sure it made sense. So the, the idea behind it is that, you know, there's so many people now out of work that during COVID, the public has embraced the outdoors in ways like we've never seen before. Uh, the importance of having nature close to people, which is kind of our mantra, our, our mission, that we believe, you know, that nature is vital to everyone. It should be close to where they live at all these different scales. And there's a lot of deferred maintenance on our parks and trails and natural areas. All those things seem to come together and suggest that maybe it's time for a new conservation corps like the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps of the New Deal. That was the most popular program of Roosevelt's New Deal initiatives. Uh, Over three million people were given jobs. It introduced many to new careers and so forth. So that was kind of the catalyst saying, hey, I think the time might be right. Um, We have the need. We have the opportunity. Uh, and a convergence, you know, of, of these uh, conditions. So the bill um, would provide funding for federal agencies uh, on federal lands to work with the, the existing core community. You know, you have the civilian, or you have the Youth Conservation Corps, Student Conservation Association, AmeriCorps. There's a whole range of them uh, doing work already, but kind of taking that to scale, but also building in flexibility at the state and local level to put together programs that maybe are more suited to the demographics and the issues that a big city like Chicago might be facing or um, you know, a county like Cook. And so um, the state then, states and federal territories would receive funds. They would use half of those monies for their own work, so on state parks, state holdings. And the other half would be grants to local agencies as well as not-for-profits, so municipalities, park districts, conservation, forest preserve districts. And the kinds of projects that are outlined are very broad. You know, it's tree planting, it's restoration, it's survey work, uh, it's addressing brownfields, urban gardens, urban farming, a pretty broad range, but focused on green infrastructure, not on, 
you know, kind of the gray side of it, which is also important, but not part of this bill. So uh, Senator Durbin then introduced the bill, knowing that it wouldn't pass as a freestanding bill, but allowing us to kind of define the program and have something that we can use to reach out to many around the country, other organizations and constituents to really get consensus around this. The goal, I think, is really to see what happens in the next administration. Uh, we know that if uh, Vice President Biden is elected, that he's already said that he wants to put in place some of these New Deal initiatives or 21st century versions of that. Uh, one thing, you know, with the CCC, uh, it was all men. Um, no women, very little diversity, um, totally different today. And so one of the requirements here is that the teams that would be put together in whatever geography, state, county, city, uh, that it must reflect the demographics of those geographies. Can I, can I jump in here for a a second? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Several things. Um, Is this, if, if we don't have a change in administration, is this dead in the water for one thing? I don't think so. I mean, uh, you know, Recently, as you know, the Great American Outdoors Act passed, which was the most significant funding initiative for conservation in over years. That had strong both Republican and Democratic support. So I don't think it's uh, dead if, in fact, there is a second uh, Trump administration. There seems to be a lot of resonance with this program, with people across the lines, you know, in both parties. I think it'll be a challenge, but I don't yeah. think it's necessarily uh, out of the question. But it is a that job creator, though. You know, being a job it's creator. A, over, and it's also not just get, putting people to work. That's important. But it's introducing them to new careers and jobs within the green industry. And so there's a very strong educational component, an apprenticeship component. If someone uh, works in this over uh, for a year, they have a $5,000 stipend for continued education, as an example, complementing the educational initiatives that would happen during the program. So it is very much a jobs bill, first and foremost, that would complement the Great American Outdoors funding bill. We could leverage those dollars dramatically. So we're excited about it. It's still uphill, yeah. but it's gaining. Uh, NRDC has endorsed it. Uh, the Land Trust Alliance, a number of national organizations are all reviewing it and enthusiastic about it. And it's Wired out- Magazine this article, by the way, just yesterday, where they showcased this and the need for a CCC uh, initiative. And it sounds to me it's so it's a nice way to get around the whole issue of the Green New Deal. If you say, well, what I'm interested in is the Renew Conservation Corps Act, and uh, it- <laughs> you know, you get you get out of that whole mindset of the political gamesmanship. And yep, instead yep. say, no, here's something that's very specific, very positive. And one other thing, and then I want to move on to, to the sure. African-American Heritage Water Trail. Um, the other thing is you, you mentioned 1,000 jobs with $55 billion, or are there more than that? Yeah, I'm sorry. It's early in the morning. I only have a cup of coffee. A million jobs. A million okay. jobs. Okay. A million jobs. Over a, a five-year period. Yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, it's okay, because I, I thought, hmm, that doesn't <laughs> seem to... <laughs> Okay, great. Well, let's, uh, let's, and by the way, I've got information about that. You can go to openlands.org to find information about uh, the Renew Conservation Corps Act uh, yeah. and about all the issues we're talking about here. Uh, the next one I have to tell you about, because I'm going to, uh, let me... Uh, pop up my own screen here because this is something that happened to me and I showed you this earlier 
uh, Jerry. And this was, uh, I went out with my friend Tom Shepard the other uh, week uh, to play golf uh, with masks, social distancing. And at the end of it, he said, have you heard about this? Uh, And he handed me this brochure. Okay. And um, it is the African-American Heritage Water Trail from Moby and Woods to Robbins. And this doesn't look like much, but then you start opening it up and it's just this wonderful fold. Okay. And, and it has all this information about the South side and the water trail and uh, the little Calumet river river. Uh, There's the underground railroad project is involved in this. And then even better, you go here and you've got this beautiful. Oh, how cool is that? This is just the most amazing thing. Um, you guys should be really proud of this. This is really uh, a wonderful piece of literature that will allow people to understand the African-American heritage in uh, the uh, southern part of the Chicago region. Can you talk about that a little bit, Jerry? Sure. Well, first of all, it's not our project. It's a collective project, and it's been driven really by the community We've been a facilitator, a partner, a supporter of it. And as you may know, many years ago now, gosh, it must be almost 20, I think, we uh, worked to create the the Northeastern Illinois Water Trails Plan, 500 miles of our rivers and streams for canoeing and kayaking. And because we have so many units of government in Northeastern Illinois, uh, these rivers and streams don't uh, you know, respect political boundaries. And so often the section within a jurisdiction is too small. And But once you start bringing together the people, uh, the agencies that are located along it, they're willing to partner. And so this great plan was developed, the first in the country, a comprehensive uh, water trails for canoeing and kayaking plan in the metropolitan area. And one of them was the Little Calumet, the one you're talking about. So this area has extraordinary resources and an amazing history and something we didn't fully appreciate early on. But by working with our partners in the community and with the local historical societies and people like Tom and so forth, uh, all of this started surfacing, that this was a a center for the Underground Railroad, the Tun Farm. There was the Dalton uh, Ferry was there where where freedom seekers would cross on their way to Canada. Uh, Altgel Gardens, you know, uh, Chicago Public Housing uh, has a very rich history, but most especially the birthplace for environmental justice. Hazel Johnson, the founder of People for uh, uh, Community Recovery, uh, launched this effort and was uh, uh, honored by uh, President Clinton in the White House and uh, where he signed legislation focused on environmental justice. So we're the birthplace of that. That's where Barack Obama got his start organizing, interestingly. But as you kind of move along, the history is so rich, labor history, industrial history, but you get to Robbins at the end. So this is a seven mile trail. And Robbins in 1917 was formed as an African-American suburb, uh, governed, you know, ruled by African-Americans, one of the first in the country. It also had an airport, um, the uh, one of the first, if not the only African-American owned and run airport. And this is where many aviators got their start, including Tuskegee Airmen practiced there. And there were, I think, 10 Tuskegee Airmen from Robbins. So that's just scratching the surface. I mean, uh, uh, Peter Taylor with Oh, my God, you could go on. Yeah, I mean, and and, and you just need to take that tour. Right, exactly. 
you don't have the hard copy of the brochure, and, and uh, let us know if you'd like one. We can send that out. Yeah. But there's a story. We've, we've actually had people, Jerry, we've had people on Facebook asking, how do we get the hard copy? Well, uh, I think if they just write to us, email us, that we can get them uh, copies, definitely. But online, the story map and so forth is so rich um, mm-hmm. that if you don't have a copy yet, you know, go to that and it'll really excite you about the opportunities and the great assets that are there uh, presently. We're trying to improve access, more uh, canoe launches and so forth, uh, addressing some land use along the river. It has many components to it. But right now, it's, it's an exciting opportunity to experience uh, part of our history that's really not well known and appreciated yeah. and so important today more than ever. Yeah. And I have to uh, tell you the other, and I mentioned this story earlier, but I want my uh, viewers and listeners to know that Tom was showing me this and we're in the parking lot of the golf course and uh, a young uh, African-American man was standing nearby and he, he politely came up to us. He had a mask on as well. And he said, um, I, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. Do you have any more of those brochures? And um, Tom said, you bet I do, and handed it to the guy. And he said, my wife is really going to appreciate yeah. this. And, um, and and there you go, one person at a time, learning about some of the efforts that these communities are doing. Yes, Peggy. So somebody from Open Lands, and I'm sorry, I don't know who, but has posted in our Facebook feed to get a copy, email getoutside at openlands.org. Get outside at openlands.org to request a copy. So cool. This is, uh, I'm so glad you're partnering with these communities to do this. This is such, you know, it's not, as as you say in your mission statement, it's it's not just about the land itself. It's about the people. It's about how how they relate to the land. And this is a great way for uh, folks to appreciate uh, the heritage of that region. All right. Uh, we have uh, about f- uh, five minutes left uh, and way too many things to discuss. But one of the things <laughs> I want to talk about is something we talked about on the show uh, about uh, two months ago, I think, uh, when we had uh, Peggy Salazar from the Southeast Environmental Task Force on the show, uh, along with Gina Ramirez from the Natural Resources Defense Council. And we were talking uh, about the landfill uh, on the mouth of the Calumet River, um, and the uh, the plan by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to vertically expand um, a uh, a uh, toxic dump there and uh, extend it for years to come. So, um, uh, can you address that a little bit? It, it seems it, it, from uh, some of your uh, co-patriots. Uh, that uh, you're a little disappointed that the city of uh, Chicago and the Park District is is interested in going through with the plan of the Army Corps of Engineers. Why do you think that's not a good idea? Yeah, we definitely think it's not a good idea. Uh, first of all, this is right on our lakefront. This is one of the last four miles of the Friends of the, Chicago, or, um, of Friends of the Parks, you know, completing our, our lakefront uh, trail right. and park system. Uh this is dredging of our waterways, and so this is where the, the fill is put, this uh, combined disposal facility. The agreement was it would be for a certain period of time. That time is ending next year. It was already extended once, and then it would become a park. It would be capped and so forth, and it would allow then for connection between Indiana and uh, Illinois and be part of our wonderful lakefront 
uh, park and trail system. Um, the Corps really waited till the 11th hour. They looked at several other sites uh, to put this. Uh, we and others, Sierra Club and many, um, you know, have um, suggested that they need to think about it differently. That in the interim, maybe transport this to a landfill outside the city that has plenty of capacity. As you know, we have a, a moratorium on new landfills in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and then really address land use along these waterways so that we don't have all this um, sediment going in. Think about native landscaping, about setbacks, about a range of things. But this is really an environmental justice issue for that, that community, that, which was promised a park. And it always seems to get these horrible projects, you know, that affect health and uh, public health and well-being, as well as the physical landscape. Um, so it's also, I think, an issue given climate and the volatility of the lake uh, rising and lowering water levels, these intense storms because of uh, increased uh, temperatures with climate. Um, the breakwater is some people that protects it. It has issues, is structurally failing, maybe even the very foundation. Then to have this potentially leaching into the lake is another disaster. So it has so many dimensions to it an environmental point of view and from a, a social justice and environmental justice per, per, you know, perspective that uh, we feel this is a terrible decision. Uh, and unfortunately, the city and park district seems to be supporting it. Yeah, are supporting. I shouldn't say cities. Yeah, no. And and uh, Peggy and I went to a presentation back in January before the uh, pandemic hit uh, by friends of the parks, and then they explained this in detail. And it's it's just a horrific idea, actually, to take what could be turned into a park, as you say. Um, is that realistic to be able to turn it? Would you have to do some capping of toxic waste there? You'd have to do capping no matter what, even if it wasn't a park. So, yes. But this was part of the agreement up front when this site was first selected, that it would function for a period of time, and then it would be capped, and it would be a park. It was a promise that was made to the community that is not being kept. Yeah. And this extension would for at least 20 more years. Oh, you so know, it would generation. go on. Yeah, it would go on for 20 years. It might go on longer. Yeah, we all know that yeah. once these things are set in motion, it's really hard to turn the Titanic around. And this is a point in time, it seems, when this can be stopped finally, because we don't need more toxic materials in a landfill right on Lake Michigan, right on the Calumet River. This this is insanity itself, in my opinion. Uh, I, and I agree with you, it's not a good idea. Uh, that's about it. Well, there are alternatives. What? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying there are alternatives. I mean, it'd be different if there weren't. But, and we won't go into all the detail of it, but well thought out, economically viable alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, this has been wonderful. Um, thank you so much. I think uh, I think folks learned a lot today. Uh, we have to do this again sometime because, as I said, Open Lands mm -hmm. does so much work. You can go to openlands.org. You have all the issues up there and ways that you can connect. I even have um, uh, a link on uh, my page um, uh, about how you can get involved. Uh, I, In fact, uh, I have the link to support the Renew Act uh, so people can sign that and, and, and talk to their legislators and make sure that that, that gets done. Uh, Jerry Edelman, uh, have a great Sunday. We really appreciate you being part of the program. Well, thank you, Mike. I just want to thank you and Peggy for what you do. I mean, providing this forum to get out this information to the broad public. It's so critical. And you have just played an amazing role for I don't know how many years, you a long time as well. 
And thank you. I mean, it's, it's so important, especially today when it's difficult to get accurate data, good information. We know we can turn to the Mike Novak show and get it. So thank you. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that, Jerry. I, thank I, you, Jerry. I certainly do. All right. Have a, have a great Sunday. We'll talk to you soon. I know. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Um, it's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki, and, uh, I'm going to blush for a couple of minutes and then, uh, we will come back and have our winners in the 2020 62nd garden video challenge put on by the Chicago excellence in gardening awards. So stick around for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hi, I'm Victor Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. Here at Bartlett, safety has always been at the core of our business. We even have a guiding principle that we call safety above all else. For us, this principle means that the health and safety of our employees and all the people they come in contact with comes first, every day, at every job. As we continue to provide essential tree care services, those safety procedures now include social distancing, and even more stringent sanitation practices. Before proposing work or visiting your property, we will call ahead so that you know that we are coming. Once we arrive, you can give us a quick wave from the window or meet us outside at a safe distance. If you're meeting with an arborist representative, he or she will give you a call upon arrival so you can have an on-site dialogue about your trees while you stay right inside your home. For all new work, a detailed proposal will be prepared and emailed promptly to you. With the help of our administrative staff, you can approve and schedule the work from your phone or computer. On the job, representatives and crews will be thoroughly cleaning equipment and disinfecting their hands. Teams will be meeting at the work sites instead of in the office. Crews will be fully briefed in advance and arrive with the exact specifications and goals of your tree care so that there's no need for you to personally interact with them. Building relationships is one of the most rewarding parts of our work, and that's not changing. While the way we communicate may be different, the way we care about our clients and their landscapes is still very much the same. We will continue to provide dedicated service while safely caring for your trees and shrubs. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And um, we're very excited at this point to be, you can see the names at the bottom. I might as well, let's see if we've got an image as well. Uh, I saw them earlier. Peggy, while I'm doing this, explain what the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards was and and how uh, we uh, uh, did the contest this year. A different kind of contest. Sure. Basil and I will actually explain that. Yeah. Sorry. yeah. Hi, Basil. <laughs> uh, uh. He desperately wants to come in into the office and join the program today. I'll so, bet he does. Um, well, 
the Chicago Excellence and Gardening Awards had to do the infamous pandemic pivot like everybody else this year. And we decided early on that we were not going to go out and judge this year, but we still wanted to recognize what gardeners were doing and have some fun as well. So we did the inaugural 60 second garden video challenge, um, which was an online challenge. We asked gardeners all around the country, not just Chicago, um, but we got a couple entries from Seattle and other places to go and take a 60 second video of your garden. It could have been photos. It could have been a, a video narrative, whatever, and post it to the website. And then it went up to YouTube to the uh, Chicago excellence and gardening awards, YouTube channel. And we asked people to vote and we did winners from um, July, August, and September, and then cumulative winners as well. And more than 13,000 views, just some amazing, incredible gardens, residential, um, educational. There was a few others in there as well. And just, it was so much fun to see what people were doing uh, through the videos. And so we're trying to get Emily and Renee on this morning. Have you got the- Did that uh, sum it up? Uh, that summed it up. Uh, and go through the uh, the list of the winners here. Sure, um, and, sure. Um, so we had monthly winners first off, which went off how many votes people had each month. And for July was um, Ella Orlovska with Ella's Garden. And in August, the Chicago's Lakeview Community Garden at Diversity. And in September, the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden were our monthly winners. Then we took a look at the overall residential winners and the institutional winners. And again, this was going off of votes of the videos on YouTube. So overall residential first place, Ella's Garden, Ella Orlovska. And second place, Solace in the City, Solace in the City 2020 by Easy Elise for Marin. you to say. Yes. And Jacqueline Eden's Sanctuary in Chicago took third overall. And uh, I know she's got a koi pond as well. And it's because I judged that garden a couple of years ago, too. So that was a, a very um, you, you want to go and see all of these residential winners and everybody else as well. Overall institutional, we had Kellogg School Garden Club Presents in first place. Second place, the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden. And then the third overall institutional winner, the Sutherland Elementary's Outdoor Classroom. Okay. Well, I'm trying to do let's let's see if I can do it this way and bring them hmm. in. It's just not working and I don't know why. I think um we had it set yesterday and they can hear me and I can see them on Skype uh and they're nodding and they're waving and um it worked yesterday and it's not working now and that's just uh, the way some of these things go. Here's what we're going to do, Emily and Renee. We're going to text to you. We're going to start with Emily, all right? And you're going to call in, and I'm going to see if that works. And then um, I'm going to have. Then I will talk to Renee. We'll do it one at a time, and we will get through this. We will absolutely get through this. So what we will do in the meantime, I'm going to play the videos, the winning videos uh, from the oh, two perfect. gardens that. Uh, were uh, part of this contest. Uh, I have those here. So one of them is the Kellogg School Garden, um, and it's an elementary school, and, and I think you really enjoy this. And then after I play that, I'm going to play the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden. So you'll get a chance to see this. And if, you know, uh, if you're uh, listening, there is some uh, 
uh, voiceover for this too, if you're just listening. So uh, stand by and here are a couple of the two winning videos in the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Award 60-second garden video challenge. garden season started out bleak. While most of us were quarantined at home, comforting ourselves with many iterations of sourdough breads, here at UIC we had to find a safe way to still get our garden planted in hopes that we could return to our beloved college campus later in the year. We diligently planted our seeds and they grew. First snow peas, then arugula, lettuce, and herbs. It was time to get cooking, but our foods classes needed to be held online. Students began to recreate our recipes in their home kitchens. We filmed the instructions and students got to work. We've made everything from herb drop biscuits to quick pickles to zucchini, carrot, and blueberry muffins. We have noticed more pollinators visiting our garden, and you can see here that our tomatoes have really reaped those benefits. This fall, students used blanched beet tops from the garden to make from scratch pasta with bolognese, using many ingredients taken right from the garden. The outdoor teaching garden is always a labor of love that UIC students benefit from tremendously. Well, my apologies. Only one of those videos had a narrative to it. So if you were listening on the podcast, you heard some nice music for about 60 seconds. Uh, But let's start with the second one, which is the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden. And with us on the phone now, we have Renee Lyles, MSRDLDN. She's the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden Manager and a nutrition-focused culinary instructor and lab manager at the University of Illinois at Chicago. It's great to have you on the show, Renee. Finally, we got the uh, the audio working. So tell us a little bit about the garden and the video. This year was a little bit tricky, of course, because our learning went online. So we were still able to have the garden um, but uh, I did most of the uh, uh, work for it um, just to keep social distancing, um, you know, precautions in mind. So unfortunately, this summer, students weren't able to interact as much as we'd hoped, but we were still able to um, do some uh, really good videos uh, and incorporate that into our our online learning. So the award um, or the, the video competition actually worked perfectly because we had a lot of um, content already created um, and, and you know, pictures taken throughout the season. So it actually made a lot of sense to put uh, this in, in video form. Uh, so myself and my TA, uh, uh, Sofia Sinfuegos, um, she's a PhD student here at UIC. Um, she helped put the video together um, and, uh, and then we sent it to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> thrilled to 
thrilled to have so many views and likes. <laughs> well, you, I, I take it you, you, you got the word out too to your your folks and uh, said, hey, if you uh, we we enter this contest and schools have kind of an advantage over individuals that uh, they can call upon their students and uh, and uh, colleagues to to vote. <laughs> And That's true. And the garden does, you know, it does reach a pretty wide audience. Um, this summer, we were able to donate a lot of our produce that, you know, students weren't there to use um, to local food pantries and organizations um, in the city. So um, it, it definitely does have that that greater reach. Um, so you're right. We do have an advantage with the award. Um, but, you know, I think anybody that's, that gets to interact or is impacted by the garden is is really a win. So everyone's a winner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, we will say we gave you a small cash prize, and there's gift certificates uh, from our friend Lamanda Joy at City Grange Garden Center. So we want to thank her participation in this, and we also want to thank the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. Uh, I believe because you won the month of September, the UIC Garden did. Uh, you guys got yourself a rain barrel, courtesy of uh, Kimberly Dubuclay, who's a commissioner at the MWRD. So we want to thank all of their participation in this uh, as well. So, um, yeah, thank you. Our students will really benefit from that, and, and they'll, that will definitely go toward um, student learning. So, so that's exciting. So, thank you. That will have a huge impact. Uh, fantastic. So, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you hang up so that uh, I hope uh, Emily is um, uh, listening and watching so that she can then dial in because for some reason the this thing is working now with the audio and we're, we'll just go with that and see what we've got here. So uh, uh, thank you so much and uh, have a great Sunday. And thank you for participating in the uh, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards 60-second Garden Video Challenge. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, Renee. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye. I think I hear the uh, your audio coming up on that end. It must be Renee or no. uh, Emily. It em- was me. I I had it on Facebook and I just uh, that's okay. That's there fine. See, here we go. We, the workaround is working, and we're talking to Emily Lambert from Kate Star Kellogg Elementary School. Emily is a writer, editor, content creator, and communicator specializing in business, economics, policy, and my favorite part complex subject matter. Try to examine my brain someday. She's the editor of the Chicago Booth Review and has written for Forbes magazine, among other publications. Emily, tell us a little about, a bit about Kellogg School and uh, your efforts there and the, uh, the video that you put together. Oh, sure. Uh, Kellogg is a small neighborhood Chicago public school on the south side in the Beverly neighborhood. Uh, we have about 275 students, and the video that we put together was actually made by a recent alumnus. She's actually now a, a sophomore at Lindblom, and yeah, she she collected all kinds of wonderful footage and put it all together, and I thought just really did a really nice job showcasing our garden. Uh, it, it does. It does really showcase. It's really fun. I love the uh, super slow motion of the monarch butterfly in particular. Who, yeah. Uh, who who got that? That was, that was her. She she. I'm pretty sure she got pretty much all the footage. Yeah, I like that. There's a super slow motion of the butterfly, and then also she did a really fast. I don't know what you call it, the fast motion where she walked all around the school. Right. And did the, yeah. So, so yeah, and it, you know, of course, like 60 seconds, we could. 
go on for you know ten hours yeah. showing all the things that are in the garden. So well, well, that it's was good. it's a good exercise to keep it to sixty seconds. Yeah, well, that and that was the that was the whole point. Uh, it's you know we can't handle. By the way, well, we wouldn't have been able to upload anything much longer than than that. Uh, but you guys did a great job, and and you said we when we talked the other day, you were mentioning. Um, a, a friendly rivalry with a Sutherland Elementary. Um, they came in third overall in the institutional category. Um, yeah. so tell us about that little rivalry. Uh, oh, <laughs> Sutherland is, is fantastic. Sutherland, it just so happens, is uh, on the same street that Kellogg is located, and it's exactly a mile south. So, and we, when I say friendly rivalry, emphasize the friendly because. They're really wonderful. They have a really beautiful pollinator garden, too. So if you, you know, obviously you've seen the video, but if any of your video uh, viewers haven't seen it, go on and, and look. They have a lovely pollinator garden. No, but what I was what I was telling you is that we had uh, entered in August, maybe, and then uh, noticed that they put up a video and they had a, more likes uh, in just a couple of days than we did. So... <laughs> that got us fired up. We're like, oh, no, no, no. We have to make sure that everybody has seen our video. So um, that gave us a little uh, incentive to uh, push us over the finish line. But thank you for, um, and I mentioned this the other day, too. Thank you for hosting this because it's, especially in, you know, these COVID times, it's, um, gardening is a great activity. And it's um, nice to be able to keep the, the Excellence in Gardening Awards Um going in some form this year. So I really appreciate everyone who, who um, worked to make that happen. Well, what was it like trying to garden with, uh, were you able to get the many kids out to uh, be part of the garden during the COVID? We were. So, so during non COVID times, we have a weekly garden club that's after school. And obviously when um, uh, during the summer, we don't have that uh, anyway. Um, so in, in March and April, obviously, we didn't do much gardening. Nobody was really leaving their homes. Um, and then when it got nice, myself and a few other gardeners were kind of getting out, sometimes working out at Kellogg. And then at some point, especially Mr. David, who's a, a neighbor um, uh, who puts in countless, countless hours at Kellogg and is really, you know, glue for a garden club. Um, said, you know, we should invite some more kids, but I wasn't sure if we were allowed to. So we kind of sent out an email to Garden Club, not sure if anyone would, would come. And then kids and families were coming. So we started meeting Saturday mornings, you know, with our masks on, socially distant. Um, and sometimes we'd harvest on Sundays to donate to the food pantry. So sometimes kids came out for that too. And we really got going again and had a good turnout pretty much every week. And funny story. So one day, I think it was in July or August, the principal happened to drive by on a Saturday morning because I never told him that we were doing this because I wasn't entirely sure we were supposed to be. Um, and he drove by and he saw some kids working and then he stopped and he's like, what's going on? And then some more kids came over and, and he was like, what is going on? And so I was like, oh, you know, funny thing. We've been gardening every Saturday. We didn't want you to know. He's like that. <laughs> The principal's always left no, but he was fine with it um, and has come out and helped and has been really supportive of the garden. That's fantastic. And Good. you guys kind of, you guys kind of stuffed the ballot box at the end there and, and jumped into the 
<laughs> and you know that's okay. We, that's what we told people. He said, "Get your friends, get your neighbors, get your enemies. Vote early, vote often." Yes. Exactly. You well, know what? Actually, our neighborhood association even included it in their their email. It it really was great for us to as a way to to show off what we've you know how nice everything looks this year. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for. I feel like I shortchanged you today. So. Uh, Emily, you're going to be back on the show and we'll, we'll talk about this some more. And I, same thing with Renee, oh, um, uh, cause I know, uh, you, you love talking about the garden and the kids, uh, and we'll, we'll That's do it true. right next time. Um, someday I'm going to learn how all of this integrates and then uh, we'll do it right. So, uh, thanks Emily. You have a great Sunday and congratulations on, uh, the win for the, uh, Kellogg school garden club. Thank you so much, Mike. All right, take care. Uh, whew, okay. We managed to, to put it together. So what we're going to do now is wait for Mr. DeMaio to call. So what I need to do is get us uh, into a break here. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. And uh, when we return, I'm going to assume that uh, Rick DeMaio will be with us. <laughs> I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, what, 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 are you, what are you doing, Peggy? What, what were I'm you texting saying? him. Oh, yeah, well, he texted me. He says he's okay, so he's going to be calling in just a sec. So stick around. Cool. We will be right back. Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. VRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. Whether you have a garden, a farm, or grow houseplants, you need microbial buddies to reconnect you to nature. The folks at Blazing Star sell probiotics from industry leader Tinyo Biologicals, which means they sell good soil biology, which means they maximize soil biodiversity. That results in healthy soil and healthy plants. Tinyo beneficial microbial soil components will add a major boost to depleted soils. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let Mm. DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities of your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Out my hair, man. Sleeping, I've done my share, man. I ain't been nowhere. I'm in the bedroom, bathroom, 
living room, dining room, attic, basement, just a find an old room, a hallway, driveway, same pictures yesterday, go book, read a book, jog around the breakfast hook, class link, get a drink straight from the kitchen sink, can't think, eyes blink, man, do my clothes stink, I ain't been nowhere, man, I ain't been nowhere, man, been sitting in my chair, Welcome back. man, blowing out my hair, man, see what I've done my share, man, I ain't been Okay, enough of that. Anyway, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and I can hear uh, Rick uh, in the back. Yeah, Rick, uh, good morning. Good morning to you, Mike and Peg. How are you today? Uh, We are doing okay now, uh, doing just fine. Uh, It's sort of a, it it seems like every Sunday now is a gray, um, sort of miserable. (laughs) Yeah, it's just overcast and... This has been the the new pattern for uh, for uh, twenty twenty at the end of the year, and now the cold weather is uh, starting to settle in, isn't it, Rick? Yeah, I, I think it's here at least for the next you know week. But there are some signs that by the time we get to the first couple of days of November, um, we begin to warm up a little bit. It's not going to last long, but you know we still have some you know some opportunities for a couple of days in the. 50s and 60s, 70 degrees, maybe not, but um, uh, it's not over yet, but definitely over the next six to seven days, it looks, it looks pretty chilly. (laughs) Just so long as we don't have a snowy Halloween. Um, Yeah, with the way the pattern is going, Peg, um, you know, snow is definitely going to be something that's going to be probably um, in our, uh, in our forecast, maybe within the next 24 to 36 hours, could see a little bit of wet snow. But it's not going to stick, and it's not going to be a lot. Um, but it's you know you look at what's happening out west, and there's been a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of you know uh, intrusions of cold air, a lot of intrusions of, of polar air, and again it's part of that pattern that sets up when you get these big ridges of high pressure over the Pacific Ocean where that warm pocket is, um, and we get these patterns of you know cold air beginning to settle in across western sections of Canada. And all it takes is a couple of waves and a couple of, you know, strong uh, hurricanes moving up the East Coast and along the Gulf Stream. And, you know, we have Hurricane Epsilon, which was a Category 3 at one point. That's pushing the jet stream back north across the um, Canadian Maritimes. And so you end up having a tr- um, basically a ridge over the Western Atlantic and a ridge over the Eastern Pacific. And where does the trough develop? Right in the middle of the United States. The one thing that we don't have going this year, um, it has not been very active in the Western Pacific. And usually when you start to see those type of systems develop, they migrate very quickly um, across the North Pacific and they kind of metamorphosize into different storms as they go through the Gulf of Alaska. And sometimes those bring some ferocious storms um, into the Pacific Northwest and eventually into the uh, Northern Plains. But we don't see anything that we don't see anything like that happening anytime soon. That's why I think there's still a, a pretty decent chance of us getting back into some warmer weather the first couple of weeks of uh, November. You said something just now that interested me, Rick. Um, you you talked about uh, the hurricane Epsilon uh, affecting the jet stream. I thought it was the other way around. No, no, no. When you have when you have that much amount of warm um, tropical air pushing northward. 
uh, it basically pushes the, the polar front, if you want to call it that, that avenue or that river of air, uh, it kind of pushes it north. Um, and what, what's going to end up happening, and if you think back, all the different times we've had hurricanes move into the Gulf of Mexico, uh, they've all basically pushed the cold air or at least held it at bay um, further to the west. And I think that's what's happening now um, with not only um, Epsilon moving up into the northern or northwestern part of the Gulf, uh, but even there's signs that there could be another storm, possibly Zeta, that's forming uh, pretty much in the Yucatan Straits. And that has actually looked a little bit better over the last couple of days. The European model has it actually coming on shore as potentially a Category 1 hurricane right over, you don't want to hear this, Louisiana. Oh. It looks like it's going to move right over that. Yeah, moving move right over that, that area. has been a magnet this year. Wow. Yeah. In, in fact, guys, I just checked while I was talking to you. Uh, they just issued a new advisory, and they updated it from a tropical depression. It's now Tropical Storm Zeta. Oh, so my we goodness. Have ourselves the, yeah, we have ourselves the 20, uh, I believe it's the 27th storm. I have to double check on that uh, of the year. I'm losing track. Uh, but it definitely looks like it's going to make a path and move right over that eastern section of uh, New Orleans um, as a hurricane by early Wednesday morning. Wow. And I just, I just don't know how much more those people can take. And again, you know, we've seen this before. You know, when you get warm water uh, up to 84, 85, maybe even 86 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and you don't have the cold air that we typically have during the course of the wintertime, uh, push down into the Gulf of Mexico, even though the Gulf cools off a little bit, the depth of the warm water just increases over a period of time. And we've seen this as well. You know, the month of September turned out to be the warmest September on record. Uh, and we say on record, that's basically since 1880. And yet this is occurring during a La Nina. So here we have a La Nina, which is a, which is a pool of cool water across the equatorial Pacific. You would think that would take the overall global temperature um, degree down at least a half or so, but it had no effect. So it shows you how much warmer the rest of the ocean um, basin is across the, the globe. And, you know, some people say there's seven oceans. Michelle Hoffman will tell you there's one, right? <laughs> so there's actually one ocean. But when you look at the landmass as well, you know, the landmass as well as the ocean mass um, collectively for the month of September 2020 was the warmest on record. And that warm water in that part of the Gulf, well, it's really not the Gulf. It's basically the Yucatan Straits down there. doesn't really cool off until almost the middle of November. And here we are only the 24th, 25th of October when this storm has developed. And it's routinely, um, <coughs> excuse me, it's routine for these storms in that area, kind of like what Hurricane Wilma did back in 2005 to form in that part of the Yucatan and basically move across the Yucatan Peninsula and up into the northern Gulf. So this is very common. However, what is common is that this would be the 16th or 17th storm of the season, not the 26th. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's just uh, that's just amazing. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, Colorado. Um, yeah. I, I mean, big time. Yeah, it's uh, are they going to have that big snow today? And what about and the fires? I I watched some of the video you sent me. I don't know if you saw the CNN report. Um, uh, and those people, 
they're they're devastated uh and you know and a lot mm-hmm. of people people do get devastated by by fires but you could tell listening to the, the interviews that they never ever expected mm-hmm. it to happen there to them no no and and part of them is maybe a little bit of um you, you hate to say naivety because if you look at those trees in that area west of of um Rocky Mountain National Park in the Grand uh, Grand County area, Summit County, um, or I think it's Granby County. I'm not sure exactly the name of the county, but it's in the Lake Granby area. I know Peg has been out there a few times. Um, those trees would, were destined to burn. Uh, they have been devastated uh, by the pine bark uh, beetle infestation, which started probably 20, 30 years ago, and this is mm. not the first time it's happened. In fact, I remember I did a... Um, a research paper when I was in grad school and uh, one of the climatologists who is famous in the Colorado area, I think his last name is Zeblin. Um, he did some research on the ongoing um, infestation of these pine beetles. And it, and it seems to have, you know, it seems to come and go, you know, every 20 or 30 years, you get these, you know, periods of warming where the beetles are able to get underneath the bark and basically chew through the trees. Um, so, this is not completely related to climate change. In other words, it's a natural part of, of the evolution of the beetles working their way through, you know, different parts of, you know, the forest of North America. But again, it's the changing climate and the more variable climate, meaning that it has not been as cold, which makes these more variable or say makes these more natural um, events that much worse. And, what, what continues to occur is this, well, the science isn't sure, and the climate's always changing. You know, even when, when Vice President Mike Pence said that, the first thing that Kamala Harris should have said, yeah, you know what, you're right, but it's affecting us now more than it did before. And that's, that's what you have to say when you hear people saying, well, the climate has always changed. Agree with them, because they're probably right to some degree but they're wrong from the overall consequences, which is the net impact is so much worse before than before. Even when President Trump during the um, debate said that, you know, our CO2 emissions are down and he was right. But what Biden should have said was, yeah. And you know, the reason why Trump wouldn't have known why. So he would have got him on that. And he would have said the reason why they're down is because we now burn less coal. Last I checked, you were for coal. Do you want to go back to burning more coal and making those CO2 emissions higher? So tell me, what's your position on that? And he didn't do that. And part of the reason is he's not an expert on climate. I get that. But these are some of the talking points that need to be given to him. Mm-hmm. I, don't know whether, I don't know whether or not they are. But you know that Trump's going to come out with, with the thing saying, look, we found something that said our CO2 emissions are down compared to what they were five years ago, which is, which is true, but they've been down for a while. But then you can actually go in and figure out why. And if you can look and see why, it's because we have so much less coal being put into the atmosphere than we ever had before. So these are the kind of things that if you want to have a substantial uh, argument against someone who doesn't believe that these things are happening or there should be changes, you have to be able to be prepared for what they're going to say first and then follow up with, uh, but did you know this? And then you win the argument every time. Uh, 
Yeah, that's and, and it's a brilliant argument uh, on your part. And, and I would add also, though, that in terms of carbon uh, released into the atmosphere, we're still uh, on an overall upward trajectory. The uh, parts globally, yeah, globally, yeah, yeah, and uh, that's part of the problem too. Is like if if other countries are are pumping it in there, we have to be uh, produce so much less to help pull it back and that's why we need to have things like the porous the paris accord uh right. and, get- and 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 on and on that mike this is where biden should have come in and say you know what president trump by the way you pulled out of the paris accord because she thought that it was going to be something that was bad for american economy but even though and you were right about this notice i'm actually saying things that make you feel good and he should have said this <laughs> even though emissions have been down because, you know, people like Trump like to feel good. They smile a little bit. But, you, but what you do is you capture him and you corner him and you say, you know what? You're right. Emissions in this country are down, but they're up in the rest of the world. And you're right. They're up because of China. They're up because of India. So why not get back into the Paris Accord and then work with those countries and take the job that will lost due to coal, becoming more or less um, – a non-efficient fuel is the best way to describe it, and then take those jobs and ship them over to China and ship them over to India, or at least bring those people from China and India here and show them how to do it the way we do it here in the United States to make it more efficient. And that point, you got them. So yeah, Mike, you're right. The overall emissions are higher and continue to go up and will continue to go up. But here in the United States, they're down. So why not use our technology and our knowledge and get back into the Paris Climate Accord and help teach these other countries a lesson because at this point right now, being out of it, we're out of the ballgame altogether. So it's a win-win when it comes down to that. Uh, I want to get back quickly to the uh, to Colorado and the pine bark beetles. Um, and yeah. Because well, I, by, I, the way, by the yeah. way, it's, by the way, it's 13 degrees and snowing right now in Denver. Yesterday they were 63. So the, the snow and cold is on its way. Holy <laughs> smoke. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, it, it happens in a hurry. And I'm looking at some of the observations. Uh, it's seven in Cheyenne. It's four in Rock Springs. Uh, wow. It's five in Casper. Yeah, it's five in Casper. It's 11 in Jackson Hole. Um, zero right now in Yellowstone National Park. And while it's 57 in Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, up across the northwestern part of the state around Craig, it's 15 degrees with heavy snow. Front still has not gone through Eagle or Aspen, but once this front goes through, they're going to be covered with about two feet of snow that essentially was brought in by the heavens above. And that's basically how they're going to look at it. This snow is going to do everything and everything possible to snuff out the fires. You can have all the best fire equipment in the world. But Mother Nature in reverse is helping them out quite a bit at this point. Yeah, so that's that's a good thing. uh, but That's again, that, yeah. that is a great thing, and I'm you know you you only wish that could happen in California uh, as well. Um, right? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I think yeah. you've been there for a while. No. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, getting back to the bark beetles, though, it has you know because I I went out there a few years ago. Uh, I didn't get uh, we were in Colorado, but mostly in Wyoming, um, and uh, I was taking photographs of just swaths of trees dead uh yeah. conifers just whole mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. you know where three quarters of the trees would be dead in in any given area 
Um, and as you oh, said, terrible. it yeah. was a setup for these kinds of catastrophic yeah. fires. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. what yeah. what I want to ask you is, you say it, it, the, the warmth uh, comes in cycles, but what if the overall trend is slightly hmm. upward? Because that's apparently what's oh, happening yeah. in Alaska, and all you need is yeah. a cup, couple of degrees, oh. and then that, that allows the, the beetles to overwinter, mm -hmm. and they have right. more ge generations, right. and they do more damage. Right. It, it's like opening the door just a little bit and letting the hornet in. <laughs> it, it does, it, it, now you got to try to get it out. Or, wow, what happened? There's a hole in the screen. The squirrel got in. Ever try to get a squirrel out of your house? It's not easy. Um, so this is the part where the natural variability um, is now kind of we pushed the begin point further to the left. We pushed the end point further to the right. Um, and the result is that the impact is, is that much greater. Um, so again, when you hear people, and I don't mean to demean people's intelligence, but um, what, what, what you saw happen the other night, I think it was Wednesday to Thursday night, when that fire literally grew, literally grew over 140,000 acres in less than 24 hours, it was mainly due to the fact that we had these very, very warm Chinook winds. So. One of the things that California gets is they'll get, you know, the Santa Ana winds and the Diablo winds, which is more of a low-level wind. The, the Chinook wind, and Chinook is an Indian term for snow eater, which means that the wind kind of comes down slope, it compresses, it warms, it dries the atmosphere, and it melts the snow. But when you have Chinook winds, you have more of a wind in the, you know, the, the 10 to 14,000 foot range. That's probably 60 to 70 miles an hour. So that the fire will literally grow not from the ground but literally from tree to tree to tree from from canopy to canopy to canopy and then again we've seen it before you have so many more people living in areas that didn't 10 15 20 years ago and one of the things that uh, my students did um at loyola for their for their midterm projects and i have, I have 80 students in two classes and i broke them up into um two students per class, and they chose a national park um, from a list of parks, and they basically did a about a 10-slide PowerPoint on the climate, how the climate is changing, and how the park's climate is changing, and what the National Park Service is doing about it. And I literally had kids coming up to me going, virtually that is, going, I never knew this, I never knew this, I never knew this. And, and that's the key. That's where I want them, that's where I want them to be is to say, I never knew this. And so many of them, when they were looking at, you know, pictures of, you know, Yellowstone and Glacier and, and um, you know, Redwood, and then of course, Rocky Mountain, they went, oh my God, why aren't they doing more to, to, you know, forest management? I go, look at all those trees. I go, what do you think you can do when you see 100,000 acres of dead trees? And right away they go, nothing. There's not much you can do. Those trees are basically there waiting to burn. So in one sense, this fire was good because it's going to burn a lot of the trees. It's going to burn a lot of the beetles. In another way, it's horrible because it's putting people out of their homes and in some, in some instances killed people, and that's terrible. Yeah. I, don't, I don't mean to you know, belittle this, but this was something that you knew was going to happen, and it's a result of, of us. I mean, we helped the pine beetles get to where they are, and we basically – um, I mean, it's a problem. It's like having not one squirrel in your house, but five. You know, which one do you try to catch first? And, and you can't. Yeah.
Yeah, that's that's. Um, it's very, it's very sad. It's very sad. It really is. But so, uh, and as you point out uh, correctly, nature is doing some of the cleanup itself since uh, we haven't right. been able. Have been, and this is what happens. And it renews an area, and then uh, perhaps uh, we can help by replanting trees in that area. Mm-hmm. Now, now here's the thing. This week we're talking about global impacts of climate change. I have them reading information from one of the um, one of the main uh, tourism um, sites in the United States. Is this States your, that your class at Loyola? Is this, this through is class Loyola? At Loyola Peg, yeah. Okay. So they're learning about what the National Ski Association is doing at the 470 ski sites. Uh, you know, the main resorts, not like Wilmot or something like that, across the country about climate change. Um, and they call it the Sustainable Slope Program, which is really, really cool. They're talking about different ways of conserving energy, different ways of, of changing their business model. But you have all these people now looking at all the snow falling. And the first thing you think of is, wow, I want to book a trip and go skiing. But you can't because a lot of the roads are most likely impacted by basically burnt out forest. So here is now, you know, climate change impacting not only the environment, but also impacting the economy. And that's the thing that needs to be discussed. Because when you talk about an $80 billion industry like scheme now being lost like by 20% due to either too much warming at the beginning of the season, too much warming at the end of the season, but now you have your main areas being impacted literally by forest fires, and you have them both in California, Oregon, Washington, and now in, in Colorado. That's a big deal. And for the people yeah. who live out there, that is their bread and butter, to put it bluntly. That's what they live on during the course of the year. So, again, these are the things that if, if Biden wants to push his climate change plan a little bit uh, more, you know, a little bit more, you know, I want to call it a little more thorough, so to say, go that direction because when he finished up the debate the other night where he said i want to get away from oil it was like whoa that was like dropping a hammer it, it came it came across way too strong he needed to pull back on that a little bit even though it probably made some progressives happy eh, that was not the time for it well you know my feeling is uh when are we going to say that it's uh it's 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 been obvious for a long time we have to get away from that so it didn't yeah it, it didn't bother me obviously and i'm one of those progressives no. who, but uh, and I also think that it's it's reality, and at some point we need to uh, we need to figure that out. So yeah, um, but when you're trying to win Pennsylvania, you don't do anything that makes you a little bit less likely to win Pennsylvania. So yeah. At at that point, at that point, you got to play politics and and play policy later on. Well, anyway, uh, let's. Uh, we've got the the brutal <laughs> brutal cold. I assume is not going to get uh, to Illinois. Uh, uh, at least not as as uh, intensely as it as it's hitting the the western states. What what does our forecast look like? Yeah, so I mean, it, obviously it turned cloudy today after a sunny period yesterday, and after that mm-hmm. near eighty degree temperature on Thursday, which was quite impressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, that was the warmest that was the warmest um, October twenty seventh we've had around here in almost thirty five years. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. And at like yeah, eleven o'clock I, I was, at night was the warmest. Yeah, you know, depending on where you live, Peg, because, you know, in Joliet, uh, we hit 80, um, or they hit 80 at about, I think it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, over here hit at about 5. 
where I live in Evanston, I'm about two miles off the lake now. I used to be two blocks off the lake. We got up to 75, and then the lake breeze kicked in, and it dropped down to 62. And I've seen this so many times. As soon as the lake breeze went away, the warm front kind of came back through. So for people who live a little bit further north like you and up in Waukegan, you didn't get your warm temperatures until about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I remember, you know, walking outside at about 11 with my dog, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's really nice out. And on top of that, there's a little bit of a quarter moon. And it was Right? Adam, it was about yeah. it was about as yeah, it was about as perfect as you could get. I'm like, why does this have to go away? Um, so yeah, that 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 kind of teased us there for a little bit. So um, we'll get a little bit of rain um, over us today, just a little bit, not much. Um, the better chance is going to be well to the south of us. But some of the numerical models um, are now taking this storm up into the eastern side of Louisiana is a 983 millibar low, which is now looking like it's almost a Category 2 hurricane. And the interesting wow. thing about this is once it begins to move north, it's actually going to latch on to the front side of this big trough coming out from the Rocky Mountains. And this is how tropical weather systems can change a pattern within five days. The system coming out of, of uh, the Rockies actually cuts off and produces a real windy, wet pattern for us beginning on Thursday. So I think the forecast in detail would then be what we have out there today will basically have for us on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, just cloudy skies, northeast winds, temperatures in the upper 40s to maybe 50. It'll actually be a little bit warmer near the lake because the lake is about 55 right now. And then as we head into Thursday, just the windy, rainy period with the possibility of the system pretty much sliding to the south of us on Thursday and Friday. But it definitely looks like the next push of warm air is most likely going to be with us for sure as we head into um, Saturday and into Sunday as well. So as we finish out the, you know, the month of October and go into November, it looks like the warmest days are going to be Saturday and Sunday. And even though it cools off a little bit um, Sunday and, or Monday and Tuesday and next week, we warm right back up we can easily be close to 70 degrees again uh, by Tuesday and even into Wednesday. So the thing about it is this time of the year, you get those warm days, you enjoy them as much as you can because you know there's not many coming down the pike at all. Yeah. And it's good to see that we've, we've put a dent into uh, the drought here in this area. Yeah, that was kind of unexpected. I was not expecting us to get that much, uh, rain uh, when it came over us with that with that thunderstorm event uh, Wednesday night into Thursday. It looked like we were going to get some, but I was a little bit surprised by that myself. But nonetheless, um, you know, there was some areas of DuPage and Cook County that got about two and a half to three inches of rain. And sure enough, the ground soaked it up quite a bit. Uh, you know, parts, places to the north got a little bit less, places to the south got a little bit less. But now all focused is on Tropical Storm Zeta, which is going to become Hurricane Zeta. And again, it looks like uh, it's probably going to be moving somewhere over New Orleans, the Mississippi, Alabama area uh, by Wednesday midday. And this is hot off the presses. This is right from the um, the National Hurricane Center as about uh, 15 minutes ago. So, wow. yeah, thing, things things have not changed from the standpoint of the tropics. They kind of sneak up on us, don't they? They they really do because you weren't expecting a whole lot to go on, and then boom, like this. And I and I will say, one of my listeners, um, one of our listeners, uh, wrote to me this week and said, um, 
I don't remember Rick DeMaio talking about all this rain <laughs> at, uh, last week. And so uh, I'm glad. No, I did not. I, I, was, I was wrong in that. It looked like we were going to get maybe about a half inch to maybe an inch. But we got these periods of, I mean, it looked like we were going to get rain, 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 rain. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I kind of missed that, uh, that slug of moisture that produced those thunderstorms. And thunderstorms will change everything, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah, it, we, we got a little bit more than what I thought, but it was a good more of what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it really the is. It, yeah, the plants and the trees especially. So, yeah. Rick, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You have a great Sunday, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll deal with some more rain and uh, some wind later on. Uh, you have a great day today. Take care, Mike, and take good talking again. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rick. Um, before we go, because we're running just a, a tad late here, um, uh, spilling over into the uh, 11 o'clock hour central time, uh, I want to uh, put out a plea to um, our uh, viewers and, and listeners here uh, to help us out, uh, make some decisions here. Um, I, we're thinking, we're, exper- we're talking about uh, going to some shorter form uh, uh, podcasts and, and streams. Um, maybe uh, an hour on Sunday instead of two, uh, if we did that. When would you like to hear another hour? Because we still want to do as much as we can. There's so many environmental issues that we need to get to. I don't want to just limit it to one hour a week. Uh, we might be doing, you know, would Saturday be a good time to do an additional hour? Uh, if so, when? Uh, write to us, uh, Mike at MikeNovak.net, or go on Facebook and, and give us some uh, uh, ideas about what you'd like to see, or maybe during the week or some other time, maybe later on Sunday. Uh, I don't know. Um, but we're, we're talking about how we might uh, break this up a little bit and do smaller parcels, uh, which we think will be um, uh, we think will be well-received. Uh, but we, we want your advice. Um, Peggy, is there anything you would add to that? I would just... Yeah, say so what's the best time that that you would watch? That uh, what's what's the topics as well? What are you looking to hear? Yep. Um, and and how do you watch us? Do you watch us on Facebook? Do you watch us on YouTube? Do you follow the stream on MikeNovak.net? Or would you like another platform? There we go. Oh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Okay. <laughs> want to thank everybody on the show today, Kay McKean and Amy DiLorenzo, uh, Jerry Edelman from Open Lands, Emily Lambert, and uh, Renee, Renee Lyles. Lyles, thank you, Adam, uh, Rick DeMaio. <laughs> I want to thank Basil, hey. Basil the dog uh, for his participation. And, <laughs> and Kayla. And Kayla. Thanks, Kayla. And Kathleen. Thank you. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.